0: Let's open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7, one of the chapters that you read last evening. And let's stir ourselves up to love our Lord Jesus Christ, His precious Word, His church, and one another like we should. Second Samuel chapter 7 is a precious chapter in the Word of God. It has as its fraternal twin, First Chronicles 17, both of which describe David and his heart. Remember, God chose to tell us more about David than all other characters in the Bible combined. There are more chapters and more books describing the details of David's life and the way David thought about things than all other men in the Bible combined. And the Lord gave us this example of a man. He called him a man after his own heart. And we want to have that man's heart that is after the Lord's heart. He loved to praise the Lord. And yet he was a great sinner. So we can all take comfort in him. That his goal is not, the goal of David is not unachievable. For those of you that feel somewhat neglected. He was the eighth of eight children. And his brothers and father forgot about him. When they were looking for the next king of Israel. Until Samuel asked, are you sure this is all of them? Then, oh, yes, we have the little guy who's keeping sheep. But that little guy that was keeping sheep was David, the youngest son. I think there's one of those in here. David, the youngest son, was God's chosen man. Last Sunday, oh, there's a couple of them in here. Are there any more in here? Let's just go ahead and get this over with. I don't mind. Listen, as long as our mouths are filled with holy gladness, I don't mind today. There is a David Jones and there is a David Day. Are there more? Okay. Sorry, young man. Last Sunday, we looked at Philippians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul revealed his heart. Verses 7 through 14 he described how he was willing to count all things lost and all things dung for the knowledge of Christ Jesus his Lord. That he had not apprehended yet what God had apprehended him for, and that he was continuing to press for the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Last Lord's Day was Paul. This Lord's Day is David again, because the Bible puts so much emphasis on him, and our Lord Jesus Christ is called the Son of David. And we want to be like David in our love of God and our service toward him. The blessed and only potentate, our Lord Jesus Christ, deserves far more than mediocrity. Now, we usually use the word mediocrity in your performance on the job. But I want you to apply it to your worship and love of God. Is it mediocre? Is it average? Average is a loser. Mediocre is a loser. Is it exceptional? Do you have a heart that is exceptional toward the Lord? Do you use your mouth exceptionally well to praise the God of heaven? And we are talking about public worship today. David was not a private worshiper of God. He was a public worshiper. That's why he is the one that wrote the words, I will praise thee before the," the whole congregation, the great congregation. His was public worship, and we want to love the public worship of the New Testament coming into this house, into this temple, into this palace, which God has made. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, the apostles, the foundation, and the elect of God, the living stones that make this a temple that groweth up unto the Lord. And by Jesus Christ, we can offer sacrifices that are acceptable to him that mean more. Been 120,000 sheep and 22,000 oxen. Do you believe that by faith today? Amen. It is the truth. This house, this obscure address, so obscure the mapping services can't nail it down. This little cheap facility that we own free and clear, thank you Lord. Amen. It has no silver and it has no gold. It really has no stained glass. It has no steeple. Yet this is the house of the Lord. And we come in here by faith. And we can worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is here. And He is not forbidden to our direct approach behind a great veil where He's underneath two cherubim and over the ark of the covenant of God. We can go straight to Him by prayer. You can speak to Him right now in your heart. And He hears every word. Let's worship Him today. Let's not be mediocre about it. Let's be exceptional. We look around and we see backsliding, compromising, downgrading failures everywhere. We don't want to be like them. We want to be the very best. Let's be like Elisha. That when Elijah was going to leave, Elijah says, what can I do for you? And Elisha said, give me twice your spirit. Now that's a bold man in the worship of God and the service of God. We want to be bold like that. Lord, Give us twice the spirit of David so that we can worship you better would be a prayer that Elisha would offer if he were here. What are you going to do with your life? Remember, you will be buried and you will be recognized for what you did toward the Lord and what you did toward others. Some of you, it'll be a short ceremony. Let it be long and illustrious. That you love the Lord your God above all others, and you are a tree of life or a well of life to all others. The first, the second, the only two real commandments that count. The great commandments, on which hangs the entire law of God. Those two commandments. This day we look at the first one, the love of God. Don't excuse yourself because of disadvantage. David was the last of his father's sons, and yet God chose him. And what a great son he was of his father. And what a great son of God that he was. No one loved the Lord like David. That had a heart that God chose to have him pen down all those psalms that we read. David poured out his heart about his enemies. David poured out his heart about his sins. David poured out his heart about how much he needed and wanted the Lord to come back. David poured out his heart about how important the house of God in Jerusalem was to him. David poured out his heart about how precious the word of God was to him. David poured out his heart about his companions and his brothers in the kingdom of God. He poured out his heart, and we have it on the pages of Scripture. For Paul, we have a couple of chapters that tell us how he thought in his heart. A few chapters, but we have many about David. Let's use him as a great example. We cannot be content with the expectations of the examples of those around us. We want to set our goals higher. We want to love the Lord greatly. As we enter a new year, it's our duty to examine ourselves and set before us the highest standards possible. This very simple sermon is going to consider some of the greatest events in the history of the world, and they're not taught in history class. If they're taught in history class, they're not very important. That's just the nature of our teaching today versus the Word of God. The Word of God tells us what's important, and we're going to read about some things that are important. You know, they want to learn about the Greek gods and the Roman gods. They want to teach you about the pantheon of gods and so forth. And all those gods are the hallucinations and imaginations of very twisted and perverted men. That's right. And we have the God of heaven recorded for us in the Bible in his own words that he gave to us by inspiration. Three temples, Solomon's, Zerubbabel's, and this one. And this one is greater than the first two. Amen. Not because you or I are members of it, but because Jesus Christ is the founder of it. Amen. He's the head of it. May the Lord bless us. 2nd Samuel 7. You've read it. You already know it. You've read it 5 times, 10 times. I don't need to read it to you again. I just need to remind you of what's in this wonderful chapter. 2nd Samuel 7. It tells us in verse 1, it came to pass when the king sat in his house and the Lord had given him rest roundabout from all his enemies that he had a thought. But let me tell you about this point in his life. If you go back one chapter to chapter 6, you find out that he has just moved the Ark of the Covenant with one great national holiday and he took the entire nation of Israel to supper with a piece of flesh, a loaf of bread and a flagon of wine. And he danced with all his might before the Ark of the Covenant. And when his wife made fun of it for him, humbling himself before God to lift up God, he told her, well, you're never going to have any children by me. For the rest of her life, the line of Saul was cut off. Right. right. Even as seen through his daughters, he defended the worship of God because his heart was in it He did not care that he had slightly disgraced himself in public by throwing off his royal robes and becoming just like a servant out there in the streets. He was going to honor the Lord, and he didn't care what anyone else thought. That is a great man. He would get down and worship God in front of others in a humble way, but an all-out effort on lifting up the God of glory. That's chapter 6. Do you know what else you can know from verse 1? It says, "...when he had rest from all his enemies." Do you know what he did when he had rest from all his enemies before he did this? He wrote the last psalm that we just sang. I will call upon the Lord. Psalm 18, which is also 2 Samuel 22. Holding your finger at 2 Samuel 7. Look at 2 Samuel 22 so I can show you when he wrote that psalm. Yes, the one that says, For by thee I have run through a troop. David didn't care if he was alone and he met a troop, for by thee I have run through a troop, by my God have I leaped over a wall. That's Psalm eighteen. But it's also 2 Samuel 2230, because Psalm 18 is in 2nd 2 Samuel 2230, and the first verse tells us when he wrote it. David spoke spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. When he was delivered out of the hand of all his enemies, he wanted to praise the Lord for it. And as he's praising the Lord for it, or when he finishes writing this psalm, he has the thoughts of verses 2 and 3 of 2 Samuel 7. What thought did David have? Before I get to that thought, last night when we were having devotions, Daniel said to the family, What a difference between David and Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, when he had rest from all his enemies and was in his house, it's found in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 30. Right. Look at the house that I have built for the majesty of my kingdom. Here's what David said, and what a difference between these two kings. Verse 2, the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in an house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. I've been over this so many times with you, but it is not grievous for me to go over my favorite one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And it's good for you. I want to stir you up to be a little bit more like David to love the Lord your God and to praise him and to want to do exceptional things for him and to consider his worship the most glorious thing on earth. That there is no cost you would spare. There is no effort you would withhold. But you would do anything for the house of God. I want to stir you up to that by considering David and his desire to build the first temple to the Lord. What he's saying here is, Nathan, look at this. Look at this beautiful house that I'm living in. The Lord's defeated all my enemies. I can basically retire. I'm in this beautiful house of cedar, but the Lord is still worshipped in Moses' pitiful tabernacle. That pitiful tent, he's only got curtains around him. He needs something solid and settled and permanent. I'm going to build him a temple. This is the man. Brethren, When he has a few free minutes, he's not thinking of golfing. That doesn't mean you can't ever golf, but he's not thinking of golfing. He's thinking of what can I do for the Lord? What can I do to lift up the God of heaven? And so he says, listen, it's not fair that I'm in this beautiful house and the Lord is still in a tent. Nathan said, go do it. Now we know this chapter. This chapter is an exchange between God and God and the man after God's heart. And they go back and forth. David starts it off. You want to start off a relationship with God that ends up something like this? David, it's never entered into my heart or my mind to ever have a permanent dwelling place. I've never told anyone. I've, always, I've been content for 500 years in a tabernacle and tents. What gave you the thought to do something so special for me? Because you've been a man of war, and you've shed a lot of blood, I'm not going to let you build it. Your son's going to build it for me, but I'm going to build you a house instead. Right. And do you know what that was? That David's son would sit forever on the throne of the Lord. And I'll tell you right now, 3,000 years later, the son of David is still sitting on the throne of the Lord, and he's going to sit there forever, and yeah. his name is Jesus of Nazareth. Right, yeah. He is the son of the highest, and he is the son of David together. His mother gave him the genes of David biologically. His father gave him, his, Joseph, his perceived father, gave him the legal status as a son of David. He is a, he is a member of the tribe of Judah and a son of David twice. Right. Through Joseph and Mary. Praise the Lord. And he's still sitting there. You want to have God say to you, I build you a house my father I want you to believe that because I would be a beneficiary of it I will build you a house right. your family will forever sit on my throne praise the Lord you know where that all came from this isn't fair I can do something for the Lord I've got free time on my hands now there's no more enemies to fight I've got a lot of money piling up. I've defeated all these enemies and I've put them under tribute. The gold's rolling in on carts. What can I do with it? I don't want to buy anything else. I hope he said, I'm thankful for my 97 Jeep. Let's do something better than buy another one. And I'm nothing but, oh, I want to be like David. I want you to be like David. You know this chapter. The Lord comes to him and tells him in verses 4 through 7 that he couldn't believe that David had such a wonderful idea for him. This is the Lord. I, I didn't think of anything like that. David, I wasn't, I wasn't unhappy. Can you imagine the Lord saying that? You've up upped me? You've thought of something that I hadn't thought of for myself. The Lord sometimes will, it's, will re, re, reduce himself like that to make a point to us, just like he did when he was wrestling with Jacob. Then verses 8 and 11 God told David all that he had done for him. And he said, if that wasn't, I took you from the sheep coats. I've made you great. Look at verse 9. I've given you a great name in the earth, like the great men of the earth. I've lifted you up and exalted you. But I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to make it greater forever. Not only have I taken you from being a shepherd, made you a king. I'm going to make your sons kings forever and ever and ever. And ever. And ever. They're still there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 12 through 17, he describes what that house he's going to build him is going to be. It's going to be the kingdom of the Lord and the throne of the kingdom of the Lord. And his sons would sit on it forever. He explains that to David. Then David worships the Lord in verses 18 through 21 for having been so kind to him in making him king. And he says, You're, that's like a small thing compared to what you've told me now. You took me from being a shepherd, from being son number eight, and you made me a king and a great man in the earth. You've given me victory over all my enemies. But now you've spoken of your servant for a great time to come. Now you're talking about stretching it out into the future forever. I'm not worthy of this. Then he praises the Lord for his great goodness to Israel, and he tells the Lord, please keep what you've said. Please do what you've said. You know, that's not wrong to pray that way. You know, when you read the last few verses, and, and David's basically saying, do you know what you just said, Lord? I hope you'll do what you just said. With thy blessing, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. Verse 29, the last couple clauses. O Lord God, thou hast spoken it. This is 2 Samuel 7. What do we want from 2 Samuel 7? David's heart. Look at David's love of God and his zeal for worshiping God and his zeal for the house of God. On his own, he was thinking of doing something extra for God. When was the last time you did something extra for the Lord? You know, if we just do what God's commanded us to do, we are supposed to say, according to Luke 17, 10, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. But David went far beyond his duty. Do you listen to Do you listen to music in your house or do you sing in your house for lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ and praising the God of heaven? Do you read the Bible to get into passages like this to lift up the God of heaven and to delight in him like David did? Do you love to come into the house of the Lord? Did you take meticulous efforts to prepare last night and to get into bed on time because this day, this house, this worship was the most important thing in your life? Is this the great thing in your life? If it's not, you're a deceiver because you're pretending to be a Christian but you're not giving him your best. Let's stir ourselves up to give him our best. Right. Let's love to, to, lay, to, to take the word of God into a bedroom, into an office, into a side room and look at passages like this and stir ourselves up that we would love the Lord like this. Let's prepare to come into the house of God. Did you prepare this morning? Did you pray this morning for today's assemblies? Are you here ready to worship God? Is there anything in you like David? What a blessing he had. Let's go to 1 Chronicles 21. 1 Chronicles 21. If you're having trouble knowing where to read this year, let me help you. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and 1 Chronicles. Five books. They will stir you up. They're a man God chose. You like to read biographies? Well, read the biography of David and Solomon. Right. Because God put them in the Bible. And he put them in there a couple of times. First Chronicles 21. God left David. God gave David over to Satan. Because he had a case against Israel. Not against David, but against Israel. So he let Satan have David just like he let Satan have Job. He left David just like he left Hezekiah. And David called Joab to number Israel. And God had said, don't number your people because I don't want you going into battle based on numerical superiority. I don't want you making tactical decisions based on how many you got and how many he got. I want you making decisions based on the Lord reigneth. Amen. And the Lord will deliver us. Anyway, That you, you've, we, can't, we can't spend any time there. Anyway, God punished Israel because of that sin, because he had an occasion against Israel. And he offered David three choices, three years of famine, three months of being chased by your enemies, or three days of pestilence before the Lord. And David said, I'd rather fall into your hands than anyone else's, so give me the three days of pestilence. Seventy thousand men fall dead. And David and the elders of Israel are worshiping God and begging for the plague to stop. And David looks up. This is all in 1 Chronicles 21. This is what I meant by events that history books don't tell us about and are great events in the history of the world. An angel came down and just stood there with an open sword and breathed pestilence onto Israel and killed 70,000 men. And God opened the eyes of David, and there stood that angel in the midst of Jerusalem with a drawn sword and the plague was devouring 70,000 men. And God, through Nathan the prophet, said, get down there to him." And David went down there, and he was standing at the piece of property of a Jebusite. They had owned Jerusalem before David and Joab had taken it. And David said, give me this field. Give me this field, and give me your stuff, because I need to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And, and this Jebusite, the Bible tells us, he conducted himself like a king. He said, you take everything I've got, you take my oxen, you take the yoke and burn it for wood, and you offer your sacrifice. David said, this is 1 Chronicles chapter 21, look at verse 22, 1 Chronicles 21, 22, I could read these Bible stories, I've read them so many times, but I want to read them so many more times. Every time I read them, they stir me up again. Look what David said in verse 22, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it me for the full price, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said unto David, Take it to thee, and let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all. And King David said to Ornan, Nay. But I will verily buy it for the full price. For I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. I am not going to worship God without it costing me something. Now that is an attitude that every pastor wants to see in his church, and it's the attitude the Lord Jesus Christ wants to see from all of us. We don't want things convenient. We want to give the Lord something. David wanted to pay, David demanded that he would pay full price for it, and David did pay full price for it. And the angel there stood on a place called Mount Moriah. This is the place where Solomon built the temple. I'm just going to throw some things out without proving it to you from the Bible. Oh, it's easy enough to prove. But because the plague was stopped, David knew by inspiration of God right there in the spot, this is the place for for the altar of sacrifice to the Lord. Right now, the worship in Israel was all messed up. The tabernacle of Moses was in Gibeon in a high place. Because they didn't know where to put it. David had moved the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, the city of David, and put it in a tent. Not Moses' tent. A different tent. Right. But David knew by inspiration, right here is the spot. Because I just offered a sacrifice, and God accepted it and stopped the plague. And by inspiration, this is where Solomon built, and this is called Mount Moriah. In the Bible. This is the spot right here. The field of Ornan the Jebusite. Purchased by David at full price for the worship of God. Full price. I want you to see the man's heart. I've been over these things before. I just want to stir you up right now. Are you willing to pay the full price of being a Christian? Right. Most aren't. Most aren't. Only a few. One percent. Only a few. Jesus said, as the multitude came rushing after him in Luke chapter 14, verse 25, he turned to the multitude and he said, if you don't hate your father, your mother, your wife, your brothers, your sisters, your sons, your daughters, your houses, your lands, and your own life also, you cannot be my disciple. If you aren't willing to pay a price to follow me, and you know, he goes on and he explains about a one, one king coming against another king. The first king has 20,000. The second king has 10,000. And how that they would reason among themselves, I'm going to send an ambassador and I'm going to make peace. He spoke of a man building a, t- a tower and getting it only half done. And it, it, it being to the shame of his life that he didn't finish his tower. That's all in Luke 14. And all of that is to say this. Count up the cost of following me and be ready to pay the full price. Or don't follow me. Right. And most of them didn't. So he only had a few that were willing to follow him. And it's the way it's always been. It's the way it always will be. Those who want to be like David and pay full price. First Chronicles 22, verse one, David said, this is the house of the Lord God. Now there wasn't a house there yet, but David knew that's where it belonged. First Chronicles 22, one, we're talking about the, the wheat field of Orn and the Jebusite. And this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. By the inspiration of God, David knew right then, this is, This is where Solomon's temple is to be built. Verse 2. And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel. And he set masons to hew wrought stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails for the doors of the gates and for the joinings. And brass in abundance without weight. Also cedar trees in abundance. For the Zidonians and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. And David said... Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnifical, Amen. of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. First Chronicles 22 and verse 5, the house of God needs to be exceeding magnifical. Do you do everything in your power to make this church Exceeding Magnifical. It is true in all churches that it is a minority of the whole church that labors to make it exceeding magnifical and the rest are boat anchors. But by the grace of God, we are still going to be able to pull skiers. Exceeding Magnifical. I love those two words. And we're we're going to measure exceeding magnifical the way God measures it. It's not the size of the gymnasium outside. It's not the number of buses in the parking lot. It's the spirituality of the membership and their love of worshiping Jesus Christ. Exceeding magnifical. What else does he say? Of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I want, by the grace of God, this little obscure church in Greenville, South Carolina to be of fame and glory throughout all countries. And we already are. There are hundreds of people in many countries who come to our website for the only comfort and confidence in God's word that they know where to find. We are nothing. And we shall always be nothing. Because He is everything. But we want His little, local, New Testament church to be a beacon of light in this dark world to those who don't know where to go to worship because they are fed up with compromise in the churches. I spent a good deal of time yesterday with another one. You know, these people think they're associate members of our church, but they're not. You know, they need to, they need to find a church, start a church, or move to this church. But they're so thankful... David wanted the temple to be exceeding magnificent. It was going to be as magnificent and beautiful as he could make it. He wanted to be known for fame and glory throughout the world, and it was. The Queen of Sheba wanted to come and see the glory of Solomon's kingdom. But we want our church, not for our sake, because we're nothing, but for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. John the Baptist said, He must increase, I must decrease. And we just want to keep right on decreasing. I tell every single person that contacts us, we're nothing but a bunch of ugly sinners saved by grace, trying to follow the Bible as closely as we can. That's all we are. it's all we'll ever be. But let's try to have a New Testament church based on the description that the New Testament gives because we have the blueprint that David had for the temple. David got a blueprint straight from heaven. David didn't take drafting classes at Greenville Tech. But if you go and look in the Bible... All this, said David, all the measurements. Do you know that that David told Solomon the exact amount of weight of gold, silver, brass, iron that was to be put into every single vessel of the house? Those are some of the chapters you skip when you're doing your Bible reading. I know you know. Those chapters where he is specifying the exact weight of every vessel in the house of God All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me, even all the works of this pattern. God gave David a blueprint for that temple. We have a blueprint for this temple. It's called the New Testament Scriptures. Paul wrote Timothy and said, If I tarry, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. We have a blueprint. Let's follow that blueprint, make our house exceeding magnifical and let it go for fame and glory in all the countries of the earth that when they come to our website, they see that there is one local church trying to follow the New Testament without fear of man or compromise. So what else does it say in 1 Chronicles 22 and verse 5? So David prepared abundantly before his death. He was abundant. He was full of work for the house of God and we should be full of work. And we're full of work for the house of God by making sure we're here for every assembly. We're here on time for every assembly. We love the brethren. We exhort the brethren. We pray for the brethren. We pray for our assemblies. There's all these things that we can be abundant in. They're spiritual things, and they're more important than these natural things. God doesn't give a rip about gold or silver. He's going to tell Zerubbabel that with the second temple. I don't need gold or silver because I already own all of it. But even as David knew back here, the most important part was a perfect heart that would keep and seek for all the commandments of God. In verses 6 through 13, David explained to Solomon that God had chosen him to build it even though he had been, he had been the one that wanted to build it. Verse 14 I want to read. This is what David said to Solomon. Now behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord... You're not going to see an amount like this anywhere else in the Bible. I think you can go ahead and add up everything else you can read in the Bible about talents of gold. Go ahead and do a little mathematical survey and add it up and see if you come up to this total. Now behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold and a thousand thousand talents of silver and of brass and iron without weight, for it is in abundance. Timber also in stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto. Moreover, there are workers with thee in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber and all manner of cunning men for every manner of work of the gold, the silver and the brass and the iron. There is no number arise, therefore, and be doing and the Lord be with thee. The point I want to get out of this, I have prepared in my trouble for the house of the Lord. I have spared no pains. I have troubled myself to go and get all this. And these are the largest numbers you will find in the Bible by far that David accumulated for the building of the exceeding magnificent temple of God that Solomon actually put together for him. In my trouble. Is it a trouble sometimes for you to serve the church? Is it a trouble sometimes for you to be here in an assembly? Is it a trouble sometimes to get up on time to be here on time? Is it a trouble to take time to pray for this assembly? In my trouble. We should be willing to do that if we're going to be like David. See, we don't have gold and silver to, well, a little bit. But we don't have gold and silver to put on the walls. The Lord wants our hearts. He wants our service. He wants our love of himself, and he wants our love of the brethren. Look at verse 17. David's going to exhort the other princes that are standing around that they ought to get busy too. It's just not going to be his family. David also commanded all the princes of Israel to help Solomon, his son, saying... Is not the Lord your God with you? And hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given the inhabitants of the land into mine hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise, therefore, and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God, to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord. This is an exhortation by one great king and a motivational speech by an eloquent order. This is David addressing the princes of Israel after he has addressed Solomon. And he tells them, set your heart. Look at verse 19. Set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. It is a choice to become like David. His reasoning in verse 18 is the goodness of God should lead you to do something just because we've defeated all our enemies and now they're under tribute and we can basically retire. Let's do something with this blessing of God. Let's exalt and promote His worship. Set your heart and your soul. And I, by the Lord Jesus Christ, say that to each one of you today and it is being said to me, set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise therefore and do something. We're too sleepy. It's America. Americans are lazy. It's 2008. 2008's a lazy year. Christians are lazy. Let's be zealous. Oh, I'm going to tell you how. Let's be zealous. Set your heart and your soul. Arise, therefore. First Chronicles 28. I wish I could take these chapters and just sit and read them and melt them with you. They are full of some of the neatest expressions because these are events that aren't told, we're not told about anywhere else. But these are men that really loved God and God came down to them. Right. They're precious. The brother that I spoke to this morning about having been chosen out of a certain state and out of this nation, out of a family, get ready. David assembles all the princes of Israel. David liked the great congregation. He loved it when church was going to meet. Verse 1 tells us he got the whole church together. Is it called the church? Am I, am I making up things? Or is Israel called the church of the Old Testament? Church the, the church in the wilderness. It is. It's the church. Amen. He gets the whole of church together for an assembly. David stood up on his feet. Verse 2. He's an old man. He's an old man, but he staggers up to his feet and gets the microphone. As for me, hear me, my brethren, and my people. Verse 2. As for me, I had in my heart to build a house of rest. For the ark of the covenant of the Lord, this is in verse 2, and for the footstool of our God, and had made ready for the building. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war, and hast shed blood. Howbeit, the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. David's explaining, though I didn't get to build the house, and that is a shame to me, God did pick my house to be king forever. For, now look look at this. This is election. And this is God having special men. Do you want to be one of these special men? Then covet this. The Bible tells us to earnestly covet the best gifts. And this is a great gift given to David. For he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler. Israel was broken into 12 tribes. God chose the tribe of Judah to be the ruling tribe. And of the house of Judah, the house of my father, Jesse. Out of all the men in Judah, and they numbered hundreds of thousands, God chose Jesse. And among the sons of my father, and there were eight of them, he liked me, to make me king over all Israel. I've shown you these verses before. The whole nation, five million. Judah, 500,000. Jesse, a father and eight sons. He liked me. Listen, I can look. I could stop right now and go through the families and sitting in this church, and you have been chosen out of your families, and God has made a difference in you, your parents, grandparents, each one of you, because He liked you. Amen. That's right. Now, what are you going to do because of that? He liked you. I just... Those words are chosen by the Holy Spirit. They're not mine. They're his. He liked me to make me king over all Israel. It's God has shown us so much mercy. Sister, do you, do you feel that he likes you? Do you know that he likes you? You don't have to say anything. I already know the answer. Because he liked me. Have you seen one person of a family plucked up and given a love for the Lord Jesus Christ and made different? because he liked me. David exhorted these princes that were standing there. I want you to notice verse 8. Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the congregation of the Lord and the audience of our God, David is speaking, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God that ye may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. Do you want God's blessing on your house? There are two things described here in verse 8. Keep and and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God keep all the ones that you know of and be seeking for all the ones that you may have forgotten about make sure that you are keeping the whole all the commandments of God then he charges Solomon in verses 9 and 10 to do it with a willing heart and a perfect mind perfect heart and a willing mind and he says he got the whole thing by inspiration chapter 29 verse 1 First Chronicles 29, 1 Chronicles 29.1 Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender. And the work is great, for the palace is not for men, but for the Lord God. I love these words. The work is great. Coming to church is a great thing. Preparing for church is a great thing. Praying for the church is a great thing. Because this is not for man. This is for the Lord God. This isn't for the pastor. This isn't for the brethren. We come together for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great thing. These are the kind of words that David used to describe his heart and his attitude toward the worship of God. The work is great. For the palace is not for man. But for the Lord God. If you're building something for a company here in Greenville. If you're building something for Jacobs. That work is small. But the Lord's house, that work is great. And we should have a different level of zeal for it. And I don't mean that we slough off on our jobs for Lockheed or Duke Power. Duke Energy, forgive me. Or Lockheed. We don't slough off on the job we labor as under the Lord. But the real love and the real burden of our hearts and souls is not IBM. It's the house of the Lord. It's not Bilo. It's not Peary Construction. It's not Wachovia or BB&T. It's the house of the Lord. It's not Carolina First or Absher or World Acceptance or Rail and Spike. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's great. It's not for man. It's for the Lord. Everything we do is for the Lord. And it's spiritual things that we do in the New Testament. Are there any Davids here, male or female, that are going to think that the house of the Lord is a great thing to labor for and give themselves to it? Verse 2 tells us, Now I have prepared. Are you there? 1 Chronicles 29.2 Now I have prepared. 1 Chronicles 29.2 Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God. That is how we should labor for the house of the Lord. Verse 3 Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, Do you like these words? Do you know of a New Testament passage that says this? Does Colossians 3, 2 say, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth? David did it way back here. And he doesn't have half of what you have. I have set my affection to the house of my God. What made David such a lover of the house of his God? Because he set his affection toward it. He chose to love the house of God. He made it his choice. He made it his life. His example, look what happened. Verse 5, the gold for things of gold, the silver for things of silver, and for all manner of work to be made by the hands of artificers. And who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? David sets his example up in front of everyone. Then he says, who else wants to follow the Lord? Verse 6, then the chief of the fathers and princes of the tribes of Israel and the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the rulers of the king's work. Offered willingly. Amen. And gave for the service of the house of God of gold 5000 talents and 10000 drams and of silver 10000 talents and of brass 18000 talents and 100000 talents of iron. What a great worship service they had. And it was there was great joy. Look at verse 9. Then the people rejoiced. For that they had offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. That is a church service. David takes the lead, the people follow, and they offer willingly, and they do it with a perfect heart. And David and all the people are excited and thankful because they're throwing away their money in the greatest cause there is, the house of the Lord their God. I need to leave chapter 29. I can tell you this, though. The last few verses tell us about David dying. And do you think he died a poor man for giving away all his money to the house of the Lord? Well, why don't I just help you out in answering that question by looking in chapter 29 at verse 28. This is the way it always works. You cannot outgive the Lord. The Bible says there is that scattereth, but it tendeth to increase. 1 Chronicles twenty-nine twenty-eight, And he died in a good old age, full of days. Riches and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his stead. Full of riches when he died, even though he tried to give it all away to the house of the Lord. First Kings. If you'll turn back to First Kings. It's what you read last evening, for those that read it. It's a long chapter. I'm just going to pick a couple things out of it. First Kings 8 also has a fraternal twin. It's 2 Chronicles chapters 5, 6, and 7. In order to ask for you to read only one chapter, I picked 1 Kings 8 instead of 3. They're about the same size, though. 1 Kings 8. Did you, did you go through this chapter? This chapter is so wonderful. It's long, but it's beautiful, and it's broken into pieces. God blessed the gathering of Solomon, bringing the whole nation together for the dedication of the temple. See, David, built, David, David provided all the supplies, all the materials. Solomon built it. And here we have the dedication. It came to pass, verse 10, it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. This beautiful temple of gold that Solomon had built He's now going to dedicate it, and the first act of dedication, that little box, it was only four and a half feet long, that little gold box called the Ark of the Covenant is carried in there on some on some staves by the priests, it didn't come in in a new ox cart, That's right. it came in on staves, and the shoulders put inside the veil, under the cherubim that had their wings spread over it, where God dwelt in the Old Testament, for the illustration of his people, then they came out, then the... Cloud of the Lord filled the house with glory. The priest could not minister because the glory of the Lord was too much. And Solomon says these words. Verse 12. Then spake Solomon. He's on a scaffold. If you read all the accounts, you get all the information. He is on a scaffold that he made for himself so the people could see him. Then spake Solomon. The Lord said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. The presence of God was so real in the temple that the whole nation knew that God had come down into Solomon's temple. Solomon says one thing in the third person about the Lord. The Lord said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. And then he, then he speaks to the Lord, I have surely built thee an house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide in forever you no longer have to be in a tent. You no longer have to be in a tabernacle or curtains. He's, over, he's overwhelmed with the God that said, I would dwell in the thick darkness, had just come into his temple. And now he says to that God, I have surely built thee a house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide in forever. The personal relationship of David's son Solomon with the Lord. I wanted to do something for you, and my father wanted to do something for you, and we've done it. And this is your settled place. Is it good enough for you? Will you stay here forever? It's the house we give you forever. Verse 14 is the second speech he gives. He turns around and he blesses Israel in the name of the Lord and blesses God for his blessing toward Israel. And he mentions David's desire to build it and so forth. Then he comes to verse 22, his third speech. And this is where he stood on his knees. He stood on his knees And he lifted up his hands toward heaven and he dedicated this temple with the prayer that follows. And the prayer that follows is listing the needs that men run into in their lives. When I have this need, when your people have this need, if they turn and pray toward this temple, will you hear from heaven and grant them their petition? And he works his way through all kinds of petitions. And the last one being, if you have to chasten us and take us captive into a foreign nation, if in that foreign place we turn and pray toward this house or where this house once stood, will you hear from heaven? Can you think of someone that did that? Daniel would open the windows in Babylon 500 miles away and pray toward Jerusalem where this temple had once stood. Now I want to tell you a secret that's no secret if you know anything about history. The Muslims have never invented anything religiously. Right. They stole it all. Half of it was stolen from the Jews, and half of it was stolen from Christians. They pray toward Mecca. Do you know where they got that idea? We just read it. Right. They think that's the house of God because a big meteorite fell down, and they still worship that meteorite. The cobblestone. Go read about it. They ain't got nothing. They're imitators. They're imitators, and they don't have a God nor a savior. We have Jehovah and his son, Jesus Christ. This was the first temple. This was Solomon's temple. And then when he finished that prayer, he offered a sacrifice. It was just a little one, 120,000 sheep, 22,000 oxen. When was the last time you were to an ox roast? An ox is a pretty big chunk of flesh, but he offered 22,000 of them. Now you don't find it here, but he offered it and the altar couldn't hold it. It does tell you here if you read it carefully. There was a huge courtyard between the altar and the, the actual temple, a, a huge open area. Do you know how big the altar was? It was 900 square feet. We have some young couples that think that living in 900 square feet is okay. And that's okay with that, that's okay, or less. It was 900 square feet, but you can't fit 120,000 sheep and 22,000 oxen on 900 square feet. So they were piled all in the courtyard, and God dropped fire straight from heaven and sucked them up as an offering for that temple. And there were 120 trumpeteers blasting, and the priests were crying out, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. That's nothing compared to what God enjoys and delights in, In the New Testament, when we love his son, Jesus Christ. Look at Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. You can go back and read those chapters. They are filled with information about the singers, what they were singing, the players, the sacrifice, the altar. That's a huge altar. It was 20 cubits on a side, 30 feet long and 30 feet wide, 900 square feet. That was one impressive temple. Haggai chapter 2, remember, two prophets, Zechariah and Haggai, two prophets God raised up to stir up Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest of the 45,000 men who came back from Babylon to rebuild Jerusalem. Israel was not faithful. And God told Solomon in 1 Kings 9, the chapter after the prayer, the chapter after the prayer, God appeared to Solomon for the second time and told him, if Israel does not obey me, I will tear this house to shreds. I will tear this house so low, it's high. These are his words. It is high now. Because Solomon had got it up there. It's high now, but I will lay it low with the ground to where anyone that comes by this mountain will say, what in the world did these people do to their God that he treated them this way? And Nebuchadnezzar came and leveled that temple. After 70 years, 45,000 or so came back. And Haggai is one of the prophets to stir them up to build the temple. They have marked out the temple on the ground for the foundation. And they're looking at the size of it and there are some old men there that had seen Solomon's. Verse 1, in the seventh month and the one and twentieth day of the month came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai saying, Haggai 2:1, now verse 2, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people saying, who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zrebabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. Don't worry. I know that you know that it's a pitiful little thing compared to what it once was. This is called Zerubbabel's temple. God is going to make it greater. The second temple was greater than the first temple by this fact. Verse 6, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. That shaking is a religious shaking. God turned the religious things of the world upside down and the political things. Babylon was overthrown, then Persia was overthrown, then Greece was overthrown. And in the days of the Roman Empire, the Lord Jesus Christ set up a kingdom. So there was political upheaval and there was tremendous religious upheaval because the Old Testament was blown away and the New Testament was established by John Jesus and the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that this passage was fulfilled in the setting up of the New Testament. Been through it before. I just want you to delight in the, ver- in the words. I will fill this house with glory. Don't mind that it's so small. I'll fill it with glory because the desire of all nations will come. Joseph and Mary brought the baby Jesus at 40 days of age for his dedication to the temple of God. Simeon lifted him up. Anna spoke of him. At 12, he met with the doctors of the law in that temple. He drove the money changers out of that temple. He called it my father's house. He taught in it. He healed in it. And the last time he left it, he said, your house is left unto you desolate. And then he desolated it 40 years later. That was the second temple. Notice what else he said, verse 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. I don't need your silver or your gold. I already own it. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel's temple was greater than Solomon's temple because Jesus Christ came and visited Zerubbabel's temple at his first coming. And he made peace, By the blood of his cross, when the veil of the temple was rent in twain in Zerubbabel's temple. And then the Romans came and tore that one down, just like Jesus said. As the disciples told him in Matthew 24, look at all these, look at our beautiful temple. And Jesus said, there aren't going to be two stones attached to each other. They're all going to be leveled to the ground. Because you knew not the day of your visitation. Luke 19, 41 through 44. Which brings me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The third temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I thank you for your kind attention. I thank you for your patient attention. Oh, brethren. To have been Solomon. And stood on that scaffold. And offered 120,000 sheep. And to see the glory of the Lord fill the house. Pretty exciting. To have been Simeon or the apostles, and see the Lord Jesus Christ visit the second temple. More exciting. Because he said of himself, a greater than Solomon is here. Praise the Lord. Are you with me? A greater than Solomon is here. But he only called it his father's house for three years. And then he said, your house is left unto you desolate because they didn't want him. And he leveled it. Now, look what we read. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Know ye not, 1 Corinthians three sixteen? Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, Amen. and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. This is not your body. That is First Corinthians six nineteen and 20, where it's talking about the sins of your body. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ right yeah. here. This chapter is talking about ministerial abuse of the churches of Jesus Christ. This is talking about Paul being a wise master builder and there being other builders. This is talking about Apollos and I have watered, but God gave the increase. This is talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Solomon had a temple, animal sacrifices, 120,000 sheep. Your heart today is worth more than that. Zerubbabel had a temple. Jesus visited, and he made peace for us at the time that one stood. The latter house had greater glory than the former house. When you use the word latter or former, how many houses are you comparing? Two. Solomons, Zerubbabel's, now there's another house. It's the church of the New Testament. Amen. It's talking about ministerial works, the foundation being laid of Jesus Christ, verse 11. No man building anything else upon that foundation. It's ministerial. Verses 16 and 17 are not your body. It's the local church body. For Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to, Ephesians 2, I'll skip some. It's the year 2008. You're all getting older. What are we going to do for the Lord? Right. What are we going to do for his house? It's a spiritual house. It's just the local church of Jesus Christ of the New Testament. What are we going to do for it? Ephesians 2, verse 19. Speaking to Gentiles in Asia Minor of the Roman Empire. Verse 19, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Verse 21 is describing how all of us are forming one gigantic church of the general assembly of all the elect of God. Right. However, verse 22 is describing in whom ye also, here's a second aspect to the building, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Each local church is a temple and a house of God Almighty and His Son Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Look at 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3. I've already quoted this, but I want you to see it and know that it's here in the Bible. 1 Timothy three fourteen. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, Timothy. Verse 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, and then it goes on to give us that wonderful short description of the wonderful mysteries of truth and the, and the gospel that are kept in his church. Three temples, Solomon's, Zerubbabel's, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ include individual local temples and geographical locations like this church. This is the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the son of David sits on a throne and the son of David walks in this church by his spirit. He walks among his seven golden candlesticks, which represent his seven churches. We have a temple to take care of. The year is two thousand eight. What can we do for it? The Lord doesn't deserve your leftovers. Right. He doesn't deserve your second love. He doesn't deserve your lukewarm efforts or your double-mindedness. He wants the best you have. Amen. He took the firstborn of families and animals, and he expects first fruits giving. Second best stinks. Always has. Where do you stand in reading, praying, praising, singing, weeping, serving, helping, provoking, and building this temple? What gifts do you bring? Set your affection toward it. Arise and let us be building. What do you give them daily? How about on Sundays? What about today? Brethren, you can pray for this church. You can fervently pray for the members of this church, for the assemblies of this church, Do you fervently pray for this church? David said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. In Psalm 122. Do you prepare? If you understood that this was the house and temple of God, you would prepare before you come in here. You'd be ready to come and worship God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. In your trouble, you would get ready. You would be punctual. You'd be on time. Because the work is great. Because it's not for man, it's for the Lord God. Amen. So you'd be punctual. You would love to praise. You would crave congregational worship. You would love to turn the red hymnal, the burgundy hymnal, the psalter, to lift up your voice and praise by psalms, song, spiritual songs and hymns. Amen. You would promote. You'll exhort and provoke your brethren to love this house. You'll make this church great in the eyes of every member. You'll protect it. From compromisers, backsliders, and heretics, you'll protect it from division. You'll provide for it. Whatever it needs, you'll do it. Right. Whether it's cutting the grass, putting up new mini blinds next door, or putting in the general fund, you'll do what it takes. You'll participate. If there's any, if volunteers are asked for, you're there. Right. You're ready to help. The Lord sees every effort made toward the third greatest temple that ever stood on this earth the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll make it your priority. You'll hardly ever miss an assembly because this is the priority of your life. You'll do everything you can to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You'll be a peacemaker in this house because the God of heaven loves peace. And the peacemakers shall see Him. You'll be positive about this house. And anybody can criticize. The ones that criticize never do anything. The ones that do everything never criticize. Let's be positive about our church. Amen. Let's build it and make it a positive, a joy of, of fame and glory to the scattered sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ that may find out about our website. Not for our sake, for the Lord's sake. That there's one little group of people left on earth that will not compromise. Let's be practical. There's, there's lots of little things you can do to build this house. The words of Jonathan are about-ended. David loved the house of God. He wanted to make it exceeding magnificent and of fame and glory throughout the world. He prepared abundantly for it. And, he, and in his trouble, he did it, and he did it with all his might, because the work was for the Lord, not for man. Amen. Brethren, it's 2008. We have a wonderful opportunity. Every brother and sister in here, according to the word of God, is a living stone, a living stone in the temple of God. We love each one of them. We pray for the ministry. We pray for the assemblies. We participate. We promote. We provoke We prepare, we're punctual, we make it a priority, and we can be like David, though in the New Testament. May the Lord bless us to take care of this temple that he's given us. It is not a light thing. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. Which temple ye are. Amen. Now, it's not time to mourn unless you have something to mourn over. If you have something to mourn over because you haven't sought the house of the Lord like David, then confess it and forget it because God forgives and forgets it. Confess it and forget it. And turn to number 303 in your Burgundy hymnals, and let's hear 120 trumpeteers that are trumpeting from their hearts through their mouths.